0: Everybody, Jacob here from the Formula Drift podcast. We have an awesome deal for you. So, if you head over to shopfd.com and use coupon code podcast23, you're going to save 20% on any merch. So, anything you can find on that website, use podcast23 at shopfd.com, save yourself 20%. Hats, shirts, lanyards, wh- whatever. Just use the code, save yourself some money. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Editor Zone, the official podcast of Formula Drift. My name is Jacob Gettens, and we've got Mr. Ula Jaeger on this week. How's it going? I'm good.
1: Good? Glad to be here. Finally, I know, yeah. dude. It's, it's good. I mean- <laughs>
0: I'm excited. I know. Dude, I'm pretty pumped, too. I mean, we we talked about it a little bit. I think there was like a dinner we were at, and you're you're like, okay, okay, when are we doing this? So I'm yeah. glad that we finally <laughs> finally got it sorted. I'm not going to lie. I'm happy that you're stateside and not in Norway, 'Cause like as much as I don't mind getting up at five AM, uh doing a podcast at five AM is never fun.
1: So Me too. It's way easier for sure.
0: Yeah. Where where are you where are you right now? I know uh you're it seems like you're in a hotel room, so
1: Yeah, I'm in a hotel room. Uh I'm in Santa Ana right now, uh near Costa Mesa. Sorry. I've uh, traveled around a little bit with Frederick Ospo down in Caldspot, a beautiful place. Went down to unpack my stuff from the season at Blood Motorsport in Torrance last night. So I'm just like Trying to move around as much as possible here on the West Coast to see if I can uh, meet some good people. Nice, nice. Uh, that's.
0: Um, have you done work with Blood Motorsport before? I feel like that's like a relatively new thing.
1: Yeah, we kind of, not before this year, but we kind of knew each other by messaging each other for the past five years. He moved all his stuff from France over to here, and he's doing a really good job. He's making a name for himself for sure, uh, and the work he's doing is just. I he. redid my back end on the car after a couple of crashes this year and uh, the work he did is amazing so it's just a new uh, new friend of mine but um, it's all about making connections right yeah and for me being here instead of going back home to icy Norway right now feels like I'm extending the season a little bit and that's a good thing
0: well this is like the hard part right this is the in-between time where a lot of the hustle and like what happens before next year happens like I've been you know, just with my day job, like chatting with brands and they're like, you know, everyone's getting ready for SEMA right now and getting all that stuff set up. So like, uh, there's a lot of work that goes on, even though Irwindale is already over.
1: Yeah, it is for sure. And that's the thing over here. I feel like there's more of an off season, uh, where more, more things happen than back home. We have, uh, some ice drifting, of course, but we don't have the the race season. So Seems like people are not doing too much back home, more introvert uh, people, you know, in Norway, and uh, we don't see each other that much. So here, it seems like it's uh, still moving pretty fast, Uh, either though it's off season.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, I'm like, I'm slammed with meetings this week, like pre SEMA stuff. And it's just been, it's been hectic. And yeah, I mean, it's good, though. It's cool that you're, you're staying. I know that's like, it's obviously like a big move too, because you're taking a lot of time away from work and it's more travel, it's hotels, like it's just a, a bigger expense, but more of an investment into potentially what could happen next
1: year, right? Yeah, it is. It's, um, it's a big commitment being here for sure with work and everything back home it has to be on standby. Uh, I'm here till after SEMA, and I think it's definitely worth it. So this is another thing I wanted to try for a couple of years, just to see if that could help me. Uh, get further in for the upcoming season than have to be waiting on things happen in January, February, like previous years. So I think definitely it's a commitment, but it's definitely worth it. Sick.
0: And and you said you are hanging out with Freddie. I think it's uh, obviously you guys like being countrymen, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to know each other, but your relationship with, with Freddie goes like way back. Like you guys have known each other for a really long time.
1: Yeah, we've been go karting together. He is obviously a couple of years older than me. Um, so he, we were in go karting together. We were at the same home track in Norway, always seeing him and his sister. They both did go karting and he's always been the same good guy and helpful. And for sure, uh, he's mentoring me a lot with the good ideas and trying to guide me in the right direction. Uh, even though his path, you know, is different than mine, we can never replicate each other's path to do good. But for sure, he's a he's a good human being, and he has a lot of good words for me to to proceed my dream. You know, so we we know each other for a long time, and I feel like we can speak straight straight up. And it's important to have someone that knows what this is, yeah. because you can't talk to everybody about what what is FD, what is preceding that dream. And he is definitely one that knows how to do it, and he he did this all by himself almost. So. To have him talking straightforward to me and tell me what to do or not to do is is definitely an important factor for sure.
0: Well, I think I think too with that, like obviously it's not something I've like really run into, but even just being able to communicate with somebody in the same language, like it's faster, it's more efficient. You can kind of like you know you can get to the point better or communicate, I I guess, yeah, more efficiently than you know having to have a mentor, somebody who's speaking a, a language that you're. Not as familiar with, although your English is is obviously pretty spot on, so it's not that big of a deal.
1: No, but for sure, it's way easier to speak your own language. It's always it always is, and maybe getting the right sentence and, uh, and the right words out in, uh, in in a quicker way for sure. But it's also that being a good friend to each other and have a good friendship that it's a good thing when you're at the race. You have someone you can go talk to in your own own language and get some good words or some you know share ups any time and um, we're we're lucky to be three Norwegians in FD I think (laughs) I think that's a that's a pretty cool thing to be five million people in total back home
0: yeah I I still want to understand like why why is it Norway and why is it Ireland that like that just is producing some of the best drifting athletes in the world like I don't like obviously there's a huge culture around it and like watching Norwegian drift championship like it's incredibly difficult like, it is, it is, like, top, top-tier drivers. And I think a lot of people in the U.S. who don't watch it don't realize, like, how competitive both of those series are. It's, it's wild.
1: I guess we're all crazy over there, you know? Uh, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think everybody starts driving as soon as they can, whatever they can drive. If there's a lawnmower, they can tune up. Or, you know, everybody is almost living on the countryside, I would say. Countryside compared to what an American cities, you know, so there's always a spot where you can go to drift around or slide around on the snow and even on, on wet asphalt, you know, but it's, the level is crazy high and people are now looking to go, they look at the best car, the best driver, the best series, and they want to be like those. So they're already starting off building badass cars, driving simulators, doing everything they can to get better. Because I feel like when we started... We just did, okay, let's go there. It looks fun to go compete there. We go there. And even though it, you know, it's just like coincidence, but now I feel like people are so well-planned. They're so good at what they're doing already from the beginning. Look at the young people going straight to simulators. They see what we do. Others do, James Dean, for instance. They're just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, and I also think that the drivers now at the high level are better off showing how they got good. Like look at James's video logs as well showing yeah. a full lap showing what it's doing in board and it's it's a good thing because we're we're adopting more people to the sport by making them interested uh making them interested in what we're doing.
0: Yeah, and we're we're providing the information, right? Like there's a lot of motorsports. I mean, you coming from karting, like there's a lot of like hush hush like we don't talk about what we're doing, what we're doing to the kart, you know, we we don't talk about, you know, maybe where our breaking point is or how we're balancing the kart out or whatever. Whereas in drifting, it's like I mean, it's really the motorsport that's that's come along with the internet age, right? Like, it was built in the internet age. It's grown in the internet age. So, like, it's very open to giving out what would normally be proprietary info.
1: It is, for sure. And like you say, go-kart, we didn't even tell each other. We didn't tell each other nothing. It was yeah. like almost hate on each other if someone won. Like, you know, it was a totally different thing. And I don't think we got in the got any better by doing that, I think we get better by helping each other up and push the sport forward. And I think if we did that in other sports as well, um, I think they will be a lot further uh, further away. Because in drifting, there you can go ask your main competitor, maybe not before the battle, but (laughs) uh, maybe maybe that too. But I think um, the sport is definitely have a good way of helping out each other.
0: I think like the one thing in drifting that people still kind of keep hush-hush is like tire pressures. Even though, like, I've talked to almost every driver on the grid about tire pressures, and you guys are all within, like, three to four PSI of each other, so I don't know why. Does that seem weird? That <laughs> seems a bit weird, right? Yeah, everyone's oh, like, oh, yeah. I don't want them to know what pressure I'm running. I'm like, listen, you're all, like, I I could ask the whole grid. I'm like, you're all between, you know, like, eight and 12 PSI. Like, yeah. all of you, so... Don't and worry about it. By looking at it. the
1: tire, you could tell. Like, yeah. looking at the tire is almost flat everywhere. Like, every guy's almost running <laughs> Dude, a flat tire.
0: Those nittos, so. I don't know how those nittos hold onto the wheels, man. Cause like, I feel like sometimes they're, they are flat or they've got like three PSI in them. I, I it's crazy.
1: Yeah, it is for sure. Crazy. The whole sport has gotten crazy. Yeah. No, it's, it's been,
0: it's been wild. And, and I mean, I think to another interesting thing that even just in my own research that I kind of developed is like how long you've been in the sport too. Like, I think we're all very short-sighted that we think, okay, when somebody comes into FD, that's when they started drifting or maybe like a year or two before. But like, you've been at this for a little bit and you've also also owned a lot of crazy cars. You kind of have a bad habit of like taking championship cars (laughs) or like pro-level crazy cars, you know, picking those up for crazy deals and then just driving them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've I've been lucky to have, uh, you know, Japan Auto. Yeah. Uh, When I started drifting i didn't have any money i was just an apprentice on a butter repair shop back home and uh, he believed in me so he kind of gave at first i bought a super from him then i bought the kasama s15 <laughs> just on a uh, down payment thing because i just wanted that car It's stupid 18 years old and yeah but he he saw the potential i came second in my second race uh Drift event back in Norway, I came second behind Frederic Gospel <laughs> in, the s- in the S15. in the s I almost had him, like you said. But yeah. Uh, yeah, then he saw the potential and I started off building the Supra we have here now. So I've been in that car for over 10 years, but developing it. But yeah, I love cars and I love the whole JDM culture. I think it's cool with all the carbon flares and all the old school JDM drift cars. So yeah, and it's funny how that car ended up in the States again. Now yeah. it's JDM Supreme that has one.
0: Yeah, so uh, I guess like to clear it, this is, the chassis you're running right now is not Chucky, right? Like that? It's not Chucky. Right, it is like Chucky 2.0. Yeah, it
1: is. Yeah, okay. It is for sure. So the original- So my car- Yeah, go ahead. My car that I run now was built in 2011, like a super grassroots build with twin turbos, just like we put a good roll cage in it that's still in the car, but we developed it, we built that car from the bottom up three or four times.
0: Mm. To where
1: it's at now, but this chassis has never been seeing the biggest crashes. You know, Chucky <laughs> was built by three different cars.
0: Yeah, Chucky's seen Chucky saw some shit to put it politely. Like it's it's been in the wall a few times and it's seen it's seen a few wrecks in its day.
1: But is it still a good car though? Imagine mm-hmm. the same engine in Chucky. It's been there for ten years. Is it really? It's stock engine with a big turbo. It's a stock bottom end stop head. Wow. Stock. But it's a good one. Yeah. It's what, a good car. What did it make for horsepower? Uh, 750. Okay. So that
0: seems to be like the, like the level then for anybody listening at home of like building a 2J, like
1: keep it, you know, don't keep go above 750. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, but that, uh, we ran that for three years in Spec, and it was, it's still going strong here on the West Coast. Oh, really? Okay. Who's got, do you know, can you say who's got it now? Uh Yeah, I got him on Instagram. He's uh, from the West Coast, for sure, but I don't know his name. Okay. But he asked me a few questions when things stopped working, <laughs> um, but it's still running, so he's happy about it. It's That's a good cool. car. Yeah. It's not overbuilt. And I think going pro spec or pro-am or lower levels, just build a car that is to the level and build a car for your level as you're increasing your level by yourself. I don't think an overbuilt car will take you any further. That's a, that's
0: a solid point. I think that's, like, such a a common thing where guys are like, oh, I just want to build it so it's, like, pro-ready. And it's like, well, certain things you should build so it's pro-ready, like the cage. Like, that's not something you yeah. want to redo. Like, build the, the cage, you know, be ready for fire suppression or put that in right away if you can afford it. Like, certain things be pro-ready, but, like, you don't need a 1,200-horsepower engine in pro-am. And, like…
1: No, for sure. Yeah. I think chassis, chassis, you say, and world cage fire extinguisher. The safety has to be there anyways, because you're going to crash no matter what. It's not about if, it's when, right? But a good chassis and then build your engine and the things around as you develop it. I think that's a smart way of doing it. I've
0: talked about it before, but like Robert Thorne still runs a stock fuel cell and a front mount rad and he's in pro. Like he's not, he's not the most competitive guy in pro right now, but considering he won pro Spec with that exact same chassis. And I think they only changed one or two things moving up to Pro, just like suspension-wise. And that was it.
1: I don't think the car is uh, bad at all. And I think he's yeah. a really good driver. I think he's uh, he's really good at adopting to the the Pro level pretty fast. I'm impressed by how fast he did it. Yeah. And he's obviously an experienced driver. But I think that car is really good. I think they know the chassis really well. They know what they got. And I think... Um, it's kind of like, um, yeah, it, it looks like it's working well. Yeah. Yeah. But he's pushing it's, hard for sure.
0: Yeah. He drives super, super aggressive. I mean, it's it's good to see like just how quickly that's developed. But so what what is your, so how did, how did you get like introduced to drifting then? Like, like throwing it way back before, was that through Japan Auto? Was that just like knowing, did you, I don't know if you knew Freddie, I guess you knew him through karting at that point, but like what gave you the bug to get into drifting?
1: Uh, I was go-kart practicing on one of the local tracks where it got to be list today. Mm -hmm. And there's a go-kart track on the other side. And in in between my heats, I went to look at the, there was kind of like a Ford meet or something like that, like a track day. And they were drifting. And I think Frederick was drifting his E30 BMW over there. And I kind of knew him from a distance before that I saw him drifting. And I said like to myself, I'm kind of tired of karting been competitive, I've been doing European Championship, we're competitive. And I was pushing myself so hard mentally and physically and everything in go kart. So when I saw someone had fun that had been in go-kart before, I thought like, this is the most fun you can have in a car. I'm, I'm positive this, this is it. <laughs> and it wasn't like then because I was 16 at the moment. So I couldn't start driving before I was 18. But my friend Joachim back in Norway, he got himself an RX-7 that I helped him get together for a track day. He got a permit to drive when he was 17. He was the first in Norway to drive under uh, under 18. Huh. So I drove, went with him to Gautbil. We were 17 years old. We had the blast and he was driving and I was hooked, but I didn't have any money. <laughs> so then the journey started of trying to get a car. But yeah, I got introduced by, by friends because in our, you know, you've been in Norway. Where I live, it's a lot of car culture and... Mm. It seemed like drifting just came and stayed. It just exploded. Like one guy had a car, like Frederick had a car, another friend had a car, then the other, then the other. It just exploded at that year. Like when we were 17 years old. So that's in 07. Yeah. That's when mm-hmm. it's really exploded. In 08, I started though. Hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. It, it, it's it, is really, it really is interesting how like drifting as a car culture is in Norway. Like I would almost put it as close to like what NASCAR is in the U.S., Like, it's like, even people who aren't into it are fully aware of it. Like, just even just meeting people at the, I mean, the one gas station we stopped at in the middle of the winter, like, they were asking us, like, you know, they obviously could tell I didn't speak Norwegian. And then they asked, oh, where are you going? We're like, oh, we're going ice drifting. And they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, I've got a car. And it was like this, like, (laughs) 45-year-old man that, like, ran a gas station. I was like, oh,
1: okay, cool. Like, that's crazy. So yeah, it is crazy it's just like it's it's gotten this way but i think i think frederick and or oh, in in let's let's uh, put frederick on top yeah. he has done a lot of work to make drifting a legit sport i would say because he's been uh doing well uh in front of a camera he's been doing well in interviews everywhere he's been a good ambassador for the sport so i think we should thank him a lot to like push the sport forward in our country mm-hmm. to not be you know the redneck thing that everybody does on the streets to be at the track where it's a respected sport and i think all of us has kind of learned from him going in way in before us and we try to match that up by being good people as well so i think that is why drifting has a respect in norway that it has right now and you Mm -hmm. know with a total of five million people if you first got big newspaper once everybody knows what it is yeah but it's hard to stay at that level
0: Norway's got, like, the same population as, like, Chicago. Like, it's... it's But, like, you know, obviously significantly bigger. So,
1: yeah. But it doesn't feel like it. Chicago feels bigger almost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even, like, (laughs) Oslo is not that big. Like, I remember coming into Oslo and I was like, oh, it's like a suburb. And you're like, oh,
1: this is our biggest city. And it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) It's not that it's too busy, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's not busy. And it's it's just such a different culture, too. Like, everybody's... Everybody in public is very like quiet and to themselves and like nobody really wants to be like noticed, if that makes sense. Like True. there's not a lot yeah. of like flashy, loud people. Uh, but then in, in private, you guys are wild. Like yeah. the house the house parties <laughs> I've been to and just like- They're pretty good. They're pretty good. Yeah, they're they're pretty yeah. good. Um, you guys are like low-key some of the craziest drinkers I've ever experienced too. That, I mean, it's head-to-head between you guys and the Swedes because uh, I did notice that at Gatbill, the Swedes would and go until- Irish. Yeah, I was, I was keeping it like, you know, in the Scandinavian section, Iron got I mean, they're competing with like England and Scotland, like that's a whole other tournament. So, um, but yeah, the Swedes, man, it's, it's at Gatbill, they were going to like four or five in the morning. What I I always find funny is that they have to put breathalyzers trackside to make sure that people are sober (laughs) to drive at those events.
1: (laughs) And you can do it without getting a ticket. So you can go there to the police and do a check before you go on track. But they yeah. had to do that because, you know, back in the days, things were different.
0: Yeah. Can you, so speaking of Gatbill, like if, obviously, I would assume a lot of people here have known about it. But there is one particular event in Gatbill, which you have done quite well at as well. Can you explain to everybody listening what Super 3 is um, and how that so, works?
1: Yeah, so Gatbill had to do, or they didn't have to do, but they wanted to do something different. You know, we had the power slide competition. There's just one corner, one car at a time. And it's a lot of like sessions where you go around and drive your car. But we wanted to do something else. So a group of people at Galtabil said, what can we do to make a make whole other thing out of Galtabil? How a good Friday thing when people arrive, they're drinking beers at the grandstand and have fun. So they figured out, let's make three car teams instead of competing against each other. Team up three, gu- three guys in three cars. And there are 30 teams, maybe 40 teams with three cars each. We have to work together as a team and drive as close as possible, like a drift battle. But there's three cars that have to be as close as possible, through a route, on the track, hitting clipping points, and working together so it looks symmetrically. And that's the whole thing. So the best team that works best together win the whole show. So we have qualifying, two runs qualifying, actually. It's the same procedure as the drift event, Yeah, but we're running just top top 12, top eight, top four, and the finals. But it's it's gotten crazy. We did it five times. We won, we won, I think we won it five times now, me and Frederick and Randers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you guys are wild. It's you, crazy. Didn't you win it once in like an automatic soar? Uh
1: I drive the soar now, this year. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's it's not automatic, but it's 400 horsepower running on the cheapest gas you can get. And uh <laughs> When you get on the last corner, there's nothing left. It's just like, whoa, I don't want to do this anymore. And oil popping out of the gearbox. It's just like, it's been the practice car for many years. And it's back to that 2J. It it hasn't been touched in 10 years, but it's still running. That's wild. But that takes me back to that practice as well. You know, when you're competing here, you're pushing everything, equipment, driver, everything. And you go back and you just have fun driving a good chassis, but just welded knuckles, stock engine, and you do well because you don't don't care about it. You just have fun. And uh, that's what I mean as well. You can have equally fun in a, in a cheaper car, for sure. Yeah,
0: I, I think, obviously, like, you've... I mean, your build is, is definitely good. I mean, it's not the crazy technological that we see with, like, RTR or pa- Papadakis' car, but, like, you know, I know the last couple of years have been a bit of a struggle, but that's also been developing that chassis... To to kind of be within FD, and you've also, you know, you're you're a solo guy. You've got a pretty small team, so um, it's like what
1: you and two yeah. guys now. Yeah, we are two guys at the most. We are, um, and they're good guys. They're helping, and obviously, I couldn't pay them too much, so they're helping me because they want to, and I I couldn't be here without them. But as you said, it has been a struggling a struggle the last two years. But I feel like. Like I say to everybody that asked, I learned more the previous two this year and last year. I learned more than my whole previous career. Mm-hmm. I learned so much this year and last year about the pro level. And I'm so amazed and scared, a little bit scared of seeing how fast the sport develops over here. FD Pro and ProSpec, like FD Pro for, for me though, is developing so fast that has to be, you, have B, you have to be on top of the game every single lap. Even if, if it's practice, you can tell by how people are pushing, right? Yeah. And I wouldn't say we're, uns, we're like unsuccessful the last couple of years, but we definitely, I have experience I wouldn't be without because I learned so many things about car setup, my driving style. Even though I didn't get the results I wanted, my driving style has improved a lot. I'm pushing more, I'm being more on the edge, and I feel like I'm close, but no cigar could put it that way. Yeah. Like I could equally won a battle or two this year and maybe I got the confidence to get to grade eight, final four, you know, because it's a, it's the way the sport is. But um I think we have many years to come and I think I would definitely push hard.
0: Yeah, you, sure, you've, you've definitely gotten more aggressive. I mean, I think in, in pro spec, you were, I mean, you were a pro two at the time, but like you were definitely one of those guys to to watch out for. Um, and you were consistent as, like, is all get out. Like, it was crazy. Uh, and, and, like, I've said this to people before, where, like, pro spec now is all about being consistent. Like, if you can be consistent, yeah. you can take home a championship. Like, that's what it is. Don't go crazy. Don't do anything stupid. Just get your runs down. Fill the points. Like, don't run it off track, and you're, you're going to do well. Pro is all of that, but then, as you said, running the razor's edge for 99% of the lap. And that's, that's the difference between the two.
1: I think so, too. You're definitely right. And I think, uh, I think it's really important to have the equipment, the team, the everything that makes you, be, you can be able to go, let's say you can drive on 92% of your level. You don't have to be at 100. You have the equipment, you have everything, so you can not relax, but you can definitely hold back the last percentage to the final and still be a consistent, good driver. That's what you can tell the best drivers doing in pro. They're driving at the edge, but not on completely on the other side of the edge. Mm-hmm. So I think in pro you have to be consistent, but you have to push more than you think you're able to at some times. Yeah, I
0: think I think that's a an important part where like the, you have to have that trust, right? Like the trust in the chassis that it's gonna hold, it's gonna do the things you want it to do. Because I, I mean it's really easy to watch it and and critique it, but then you you look at even an event like Irwindale where you're on that wall you know for 75 80% of that first bank right like you literally initiate and they want you on the wall the entire way around but like yeah it's it's so insanely difficult to to put a car there and hold it there
1: yeah and, and that is one thing as well but the grip level in this cars are just like uh if you do a mistake it looks so fa- fatal in a way it's like it does look almost stupid on the outside because you would know that you would drive yourself on snow or lower grip level cars. The car wouldn't act that way. But mm-hmm. with the grip level we're putting in the cars, it just looked weird on the outside, even though you're struggling on the inside, trying to make the cars put up on the wall, like you say, from the beginning of the wall. And it's pretty tough because you can feel that you're on the wall for most of the corner, but then you're missing the first half of it. So <laughs> it's just this, the margins are so small and, and the cars and the grip and everything is insane. So yeah. that made me like realize how tough uh, the level is. And I love it. I love when pe- things are pushed to the limit. It just makes me my drive even stronger.
0: Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's good that you've got that mindset. I mean, that's the only way to get through it, right? Like is, is the perspective of learning and getting better and competing with the best and driving, you know, uh, arguably the most difficult chassis with the most difficult setups on the most difficult tracks. Like... That's that's why you guys are all there. Is not, is is because it's not easy.
1: <laughs> no, true. I'm I'm proud to be in in that family. You would say because FD is a family. It's a moving circus, moving around. And <laughs> it is I feel a moving like, yeah, circus. Yeah, that's that's the way to look at it, right? Like yeah. it's a moving circus. We're the same people at every track, but we're having a lot of fun. And I think the atmosphere in FD is the thing that I miss in off season, meeting all the people, mechanics, crew chiefs drivers, everyone, and the FT crew as well. Is, it's the, like a family. I've been around for a few years, but it was first when I got into pro that I really feel like I got to know people. Uh, and I feel like that's why the sport is moving forward that fast as well, because everybody's, not everybody's the best friends, but yeah. we're all friends and respect each other. And I think that we can talk to each other makes us more competitive than other series. And I think also the tracks comparable to the European tracks may look easier in a way, maybe from a live stream perspective, but they're definitely not. Because we get pushed to go places on the track where it's not supposed to go. From (laughs) a karting perspective, doing lap times, sometimes I feel like, this is not the ideal way to drive this track. But the judges say, you can go there. One day, you can. (laughs) And we're also trying, all, all of us, right? Yeah, do you do you still carry over like any of uh, the
0: karting instincts? Okay, so actually, before we get into that, cause this is actually kind of a funny story. Uh, last year in Seattle, you and I and a group of friends all went out go karting, and I had no idea of your background, and you came in and decimated everybody. And it wasn't a long <laughs> track, right? Like it was like no, a thirty, it, it was like a thirty-two second or thirty-six second track, and yeah, <laughs> I'm like. I like I look at my lap time and I was like 8 or 9 seconds behind you and I'm like I don't understand this and you're like oh yeah I've been karting most
1: of my life and I'm like oh dude what the hell man like, <laughs> I still love karting and I, if I if I was uh if I was able to I would have a go kart in my garage competitive yeah. go kart and go slick tires when it was raining that's my oh. dream to go like because it's the instincts and I think the speed in a car let's say an RC car you know yeah uh, you just drive around it's so fast but if you scale the speed down from cars to karting, your instincts get so freshened up. If mm-hmm. you go, you go so fast comparable to the, these cars, like we're fast in FD as well. But after, if you go one day in a go kart, a fast competitive go kart and get back in an FD car, you feel like you can open the door and walk out. It's like the difference is, is huge because the size is obviously different. Yeah. But you know, the grip level and everything, it's, uh, I think I still carry on instincts for sure. Because apex, where to place my car to look forward to the next corner while I'm in the the one corner, I look way ahead. I don't think I would be able to do that and be that fast in a drift car without having my karting background for sure. And the is balance it, of where the car is.
0: Yeah, no, that 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 does make a lot of sense because those are all racecraft things that, like, no matter what racing you're doing, motocross, off road, whatever, you're always looking way ahead of where you need to be. So you, you yeah. kind of came into it with that instinct already.
1: And I'm glad, I'm glad, mm-hmm. I'm glad I have it still, but I still think that the instincts could have been sharpened up a little bit by go-karting some more. <laughs> so, uh, if you're down, we're doing it. <laughs> I, I, I don't mind getting smoked again. I let
0: everybody know I'm not a good driver. So yeah, I just, I'm out there. for fun. Fun, I mean, oh, I had a blast. It was great. I mean, I, I ran into Jonathan Hurst, Uh, I think I smashed an assignment too. I'm not there to set lap records. I'm there to ruin other people's days. So it was, it was was
1: good. It's good. It's a good mindset, sir.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Is it? So with, with go-karting in mind, uh, looking at ages and circuits and everything else, uh, I, I lined it up that there is a significant possibility that you would have raced against Valtteri Bottas. Uh, Did you ever actually, you did. Okay. That,
1: what What
0: the hell is that like? (laughs)
1: Like, was he just that good? (laughs) Back in the days, actually, we were doing, uh, because it's from Finland, there is like a qualification for the European championship that was held in Italy. Okay. So the year was 05. I was doing the international karting uh, class. There's the Mm -hmm. fastest without gears. Uh, We were competing in a couple of races and my old friend, like one of my friends back home, he found like lap times from back in the days where I was like a little bit faster than him in one of the rounds and stuff like that. But he he obviously was Mercedes sponsored back then. They were doing it. They had an old, old Mercedes van, him and his father. Dirty go-karts, dirty tools, dirty everything. And like, but they had a Mercedes star on the front of the go-kart. So I understand Uh. here is something. But in the European championship, we crashed and with many others in the start. So I had to start all the way in the back, and beside me was Waltery. E. I wasn't thinking about it then, but I found some old pictures back home of me and Waltery e standing all the way in the back with the helmets on. And that's pretty funny right now. That's pretty cool, yeah. man. I mean, considering- and, I, and I remember the start going off. And yeah. he was like, I'm going through. And <laughs> one of my mechanic told me, like, follow that guy. He was just yeah, putting people in the sand everywhere. He was just like, "I'm gonna win this race." So he was definitely <laughs> fast. He was fast.
0: What a trip that is! I mean, you're—I mean, you're in the top level of of drifting, and he's in the top level of open wheel. Like that's that's kind of sick.
1: Yeah, it, it is pretty cool. And, and that we were all aiming for back in the days, you know, going to Formula One. Uh-huh. I remember we were competing. I'm getting in the newspaper. Me and my best friend, the came back home. We were just like, who get in the newspaper, who won the race, and who who will win the next race? Because, you know, there's 15, 16 race, almost 20 races a year in go-kart. Right. And everybody was pushing for Formula One. But then we were young, right? So we didn't know how how much of a work would, we had to put into it. Hmm. Yeah, it's...
0: Yeah, I I mean, I've never, I never got into the karting side of things. I mean, I'm a big F1 fan now, but like... The amount of time that you have to put in to get to that level is is absolutely crazy. Like, it's it's Yeah, nuts. it's
1: just, it's nuts and it's just the thing you're doing in your life, I think. It's just Formula One, it's a bubble. And mm. a bit like FD as well, but I feel like it's a moral, more social sport where you meet other people. I think F1 is like go-karting in a bigger scale, in a way. Yeah. It's just you're in that bubble and you're in that bubble for 20 years. <laughs> You're but stuck they're there. But they're committed. They're
0: committed though. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, that's it's such a like a kind of a, a cool you know crossover a past. Maybe, maybe you should like reach out to him and be like, hey, you haven't seen me in a while, but this is what I looked like when I was 15. Um, we I'm should I'm dreaming of it. You should. I mean, I mean, we saw Max uh in Mad Mike's car, so like
1: why not yeah.
0: get Falture in the Supra? I'm just I just want to put that out there.
1: It would have been that great. It could Great still team. happen. It could still happen. Yeah, maybe he will do good and then come over to drifting. Maybe that's the thing. I am. You never know. As soon as I saw Max drifting, I was like,
0: if he gets hooked on this and really wants to do it, we're all in trouble. I mean, you guys are. Yeah, I'm I not. So. For me, it's it's fine. But for you guys, it's a problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, look at uh, Calero Rowan Perl in yeah. FT Japan. Yeah. The world uh, rally car driver. He's doing yeah. insanely good. It's, and yeah, I mean, is it's,
0: it's car control, crazy. right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And and I think also when you you see those guys coming from motocross and stuff like that, they have the balance in their body. They mm. have been yeah, and even though people that's been in like fighting, you know, like uh, MMA or judo or like those um those also has the balance in in their body to do well in the drift car. Cuz I think it's all about balance and understanding of how things feels.
0: Huh. And okay. That's why I never- I, that's why I Yeah. I never, I never put like MMA and boxing in there, but that's, that's interesting. Yeah, because it is. It's a lot of body feel, right?
1: Yeah. And I think if you say like, uh, if those people, there's a lot of people with different backgrounds, you know, let's say someone comes into drifting and amaze me, they've been doing motocross. Okay. I like, okay. And now I know why you, why you get it so fast. Because it mm. took me some time to get into drifting to understand how the car feels and how the car works comparable to karting. But you can tell that people without no background, even just in a whole other sport, is coming into drifting and do pretty well right, right away. Do, do, you, do you think you could
0: recognize what somebody's automotive background is by the way they drift?
1: I think it's hard, but I would feel like someone from motocross is obviously the ones that are going really fast and like pushing really hard right away. I can okay. tell by the guys that are really aggressive comes from motocross. And there's hmm. a lot of people that does. I wonder if because there's like obviously something they with, like hurt the body. Yeah. 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 They hurt their body many times. So they have to go <laughs> somewhere else. They have to be in a car now because their bones can't take it anymore.
0: I've heard that a few times. I think even Turk talked about it at one point where he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm one bad crash away from, you know, that's it. I can't do anything. So why not yeah. get the same feeling or a similar feeling, but at least have a roll cage and a harness and arm restraints and everything else.
1: It's way better. I don't. I don't know how they do that motocross thing. Like, if I started when I was six, if I was started when I was six, maybe I could do it. But you obviously don't gonna start motocrossing when you're thirty, right?
0: You're not gonna go on the
1: big jumps. I don't know. Yeah, let's
0: hit the big jumps. I just, I just got back into hockey, man. So, which I know. I mean, are you still, are you still playing hockey at all?
1: I'm considering it every off season, but uh, I heard about the, I heard about the people get hurt. So, (laughs) I managed to stay out for a couple of years now. But yeah, it's It's good for good for the thing like balance and your body strength and all that but it's all good to hit the hit the wall in 30 miles an hour yeah. when someone hits you right
0: yeah no so, that's fair well yeah, i mean i did yeah but um <laughs> i i have to ask like why why pittsburgh like if you're gonna pick a hockey team to follow it in norway why did you go with pittsburgh
1: I just liked, uh, in like 10 years ago, I was watching hockey a lot when uh, Matt Succarello went to New York Rangers. He was our only Norwegian that came to NHL. And that kind of caught my interest a bit. But the thing is, like, Pittsburgh had a really good team back then. They still have, they had Malkin, you know, Crosby. Mm. They had uh, Fleury in goal, I think. It was just like the team that had the most stars that I really, like, felt it was entertaining to watch. I was Ah. always watching hockey back home, you know? But now, it's like, I don't have a favorite team. I think every team has their own stars that are worth following. All and right. I think it's hard to pick a team. So, it's not Pittsburgh anymore. And it's <laughs> never, like, been a diehard Pittsburgh fan. But, you know. Uh, that's fair. I like hockey.
0: <clears throat> yeah. I, I'm trying to, to get back and watch more this season. Um, But, you know, because I have so much free time on my hands that I should pick up another hobby. So, yeah. Uh, can you, uh, can you explain to me how you got the stunt driving role in, and this is roughly translated, uh, Long Flat Balls
1: 3, Broken Promises? <laughs> uh, yeah, there was actually, there's a small group of people. Yeah, it's a good title. It's a great it title. Sure. We had, <laughs> last year, we had a premiere show here in Newport, no, in Costa Mesa, Yeah, where they showed the movie in Norwegian for a small crowd. Really? And they thought it was hilarious. Yeah, it was a good thing because the guy that made the film, he's from our town back in Norway, but he lives in LA.
0: Oh, he that when Freddie brought like a whole bunch of Norwegians over last year?
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. And they were like, Freddie had some Norwegians. We had some Norwegians over from our city. It was like a big clan that went to the premiere of the movie. So it was pretty fun. But yeah, I got that role because... Obviously, my friend Joachim has the main role of driving the pickup truck with yeah. uh, the J-turn and stuff. But we're more like in the background. But it's not safe to be in the background either, to be uh, tr- the, the fake traffic, you know, because ah. people is everywhere. But uh, there's a small group of people that come from drifting that maybe let's say we're 10 people that can do stunt jobs in Norway that has like a reputation. But uh, it was my friend that got me into this. And I just said, yes, let's do it. Because it's a local movie. It's a local name. It's a local movie from our city. And the dialect, the way they talk is just funny. Because it's from my city. It's just our city and another city that talks that way. It talks our language that way. So when we made fun of a lot because we're from down south in Norway. We speak in a weird way. And yeah, so the the movie is made on that dialect. So that's why it's funny. And it's the third one. And the third one was the best of them all. I'm sorry I missed the first two. I had no idea. Oh, <laughs> uh, you shouldn't. You got your night there. One I, might, two. I might
0: sit through it. So, you're uh, what What town are you from then?
1: It's called uh, Fredrikstad.
0: Okay.
1: Frederick, almost like Frederick town. Fredrikstad, yeah. yeah. So,
0: yeah. if I remember correctly, southern Norway speaks much slower, right?
1: Where we're from, is we're not speak, talk slow. We're talking fast, and we have a lot of strange words. I would okay. say strange way of pronouncing the words. Where Simon is from, is more south. Okay. They have a they say the R in a different way, and they speak slower.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So it's different dialects wherever you go in Norway, and that's okay. a bit funny as well.
0: Could you come? Well, I mean, there's a lot of countries like that. I mean, Canada is similar, like. You know, Newfies sound different than people from BC. Is there a comparison in the U.S.? Like, what what your region would be if it was in America?
1: I would hope to be from down south. You know, I like okay. that the way they talk. It's yeah, it's pretty cool. The draw, and you can definitely hear. Yeah, you can definitely hear when they're from down south, Texas okay. and stuff like that. And so I feel it's like close like, to that. Yeah, hmm. I feel like yeah. Let's say yeah, because we don't we speak. Down south will be the right way because there's a lot of American muscle cars. We celebrate 4th of July, a lot of people in <laughs> our cities. And there's, yes, yeah, Sorensen was over and he was like, 4th of July, so more American cars than he do in 4th of July over here. <laughs> it's like, so yeah, we're from that part of the country.
0: Ah, uh, that's so funny. I forgot that he went over. Right.
1: Oh, yeah. man.
0: I'm sure that was a bit of a culture shock for him too. I think he had fun. I think so too. I saw some pictures. I mean, I don't know if they all got posted, but it looked like you had fun. Yeah. It is <laughs> oh, a good time. That's that's yeah, that's good. Um, did you did you ever actually meet uh, Vettel or was it just a very convincing wax
1: figurine? Wax figure. It was or a wax was
0: figure? Okay.
1: Or was it? Oh, no, it's a wax figure. <laughs> uh, in London. In London. It was a wax museum in London. <laughs> But yeah, he looked real, right? It looked
0: really real. When I was like, scrolling through, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. And then I'm like, ah, I don't know. I'm not I sure. Think, I have to clarify. I think he's still at the
1: museum. I think he's still there.
0: Okay. Well, have to, maybe next time I'm in London, I'll I'll go stop by. Um, yeah. This one, <laughs> this one is a a, a fan request. Um, can you show me the shrimp dance?
1: Uh I don't remember. <laughs> I can't remember how it's done. It's too early. On. If it was in Norway, it's the middle of the night. I can do it. But yeah. <laughs> What, I don't remember what is, how it goes. What is the shrimp dance like? What I don't know. I, <laughs> <laughs> people just people just ask me in the middle of the night sometimes. Can you do the shrimp dance? <laughs> and sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. I don't remember how it how it is. This is like an um, ongoing embarrassing. Okay, you had, had to. It's had
0: You had to know these questions were coming.
1: Yeah, I love them. Bring them on. <laughs> Oh my so god! Yeah, I
0: don't remember. <laughs> all right. Well, next time I see you, I'm gonna I'm gonna feed you a couple of beers and and ask about the shrimp dance.
1: Yeah, we can record it then.
0: All right. Cool. Well, uh, all right, maybe I'll
1: maybe I'll see. I'm gonna ask around.
0: I got some, you know, I got some friends in Norway now. Maybe there's a video recording we can splice in here and and
1: show the world the shrimp dance. So I got to be careful now. That's what you're saying.
0: <laughs> there might already be out there. <laughs> there might already be recordings. Maybe.
1: maybe. maybe. All right.
0: Now. I've got, I only have a few days before this comes out to find the shrimp dance and and put it in here.
1: Let's hope you don't.
0: (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, Cool. So uh, back in 2016, you actually made a Facebook post predicting that you would be in Formula Drift one day. How how did you know? Because like so many of you drivers have this moment where you see FD and, and you guys make the claim. And everybody that I've talked to, that said that, I can go back and find the post. And I wanted to find it with you and I did find it. Um, how did you know? Like, how did you know at that point in time that was what you were going to do?
1: Uh, it's The story is that when Frederick did it back in the days, I thought I saw that it was possible doing it. And I knew I had the capability in me as a driver. Sounds weird to say, but I, like I felt like my progression was going in the right direction. But it wasn't just FD. It was about where do I want to be successful? Where do I want to go when I get older, when I grow up? And I always loved America. I always wanted to go there. I was there once in 09 and I was hooked in America. I just mm. loved it. And I wanted to go drifting in America where there's palm trees, uh, warm weather, a lot of fans. And it's like it looked like a dream for me because I obviously didn't make it to Formula One. So I was just <laughs> from, <laughs> from 20. In and 2013, when we did Drift All-Stars, that was Drift Masters today, and I did well, I felt like, let's go to reach our goal to go to FT. And in 2016, I did the Scandinavian Championship that was hosting. They gave out license for ProSpec if you won the championship. So we rebuilt my car and went there and won the championship. And like my goal from, let's say from 2013 has been to go to FT, but I thought it was real there was a real possibility in 2016. Hmm. That when we started planning hmm. with Frederick about Chucky and all that stuff, and in 2016, by the end of the year, I kind of knew it. I didn't have the money. Yeah, I still don't. But I like <laughs> I, I I I was pushing I was pushing in that direction, and it was I'm that type of guy. If if I'm deciding to do something, no nothing can stop me. It's just like I'm gonna do everything in my power and a little bit more to to make it happen.
0: Yeah, because like. I, I always want to highlight the the life outside of FD. And I mean, unless, unless it's changed, I mean, you work in car sales for a living. Like you're taking your vacation to make this happen. And you and I've talked about budgeting. Like you're, you're basically putting everything that you've got into FD to make sure it can happen. Yeah.
1: And I, I obviously do. And I quit my job now to start uh, my own business selling cars. Uh, and I think, that's the way to do it, because then I can work really hard when I'm back home. I can even import, export cars, and I can take the time off without having a, a bad feeling about it, because mm-hmm. it only goes on myself and my girlfriend, because we're pushing everything when I'm back home to sell cars. And when I go here, I still feel bad about leaving work. That's how it was. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough. It's a tough moment to quit my job and start by my own, but it's I think that's the move I had to do to to get further in my career, and yeah, I had five weeks vacation. That's what you get in Norway. I managed to get ten, but five of the other ones are not paid. You know, because uh, in Norway mm. they take out five or eight weeks of your of your salary, and if you do more than five weeks, they they're pulling out every week of your uh, monthly salary. Hmm. So I, I I was when I go here I'm unpaid. You know.
0: So yeah, because I mean almost everybody that's still working a job in fd is is they're almost all working for themselves i actually can't think of i can't think of anybody who doesn't work for themselves
1: that's in fd like right. it's it's the only way i think it's the only way because then you feel like when you do well you do well for yourself and when mm-hmm. you do not that well you're only yourself to blame right and that's the way we are in in the sport as well as athletes so i think the comparison to work with the side work and the athlete way of thinking about it is going to be just the same because you want to put all the effort in there, the same as you do in a sport. And for me, it's like I'm putting all the effort, even on bad days, good days, I'm pushing everything to proceed my FT career. And I really wanted to have that feel in my workspace as well. Like where I'm working, selling cars, I want to feel the passion that I feel when I'm doing drifting. So I'm Mm. trying to, that's why I'm trying to do it that way. And as you say, it's not many people that that are in the FD as a driver that is working for someone.
0: All right, all you podcast listeners, I managed to poke and prod Ryan Sage a little bit and save you some money on merch. So use code PODCAST23 at checkout. Save yourself 20% on your favorite FD merch with the hats, shirts, lanyards, whatever it is that you want. Use code PODCAST23 at checkout. Save that money. Get yourself some cool FD stuff and we'll see you out there. I mean, all of the, like similar to, to driving, like all of the pressure and the onus and the success and failures in business, same as, as driving, it's all on you. Like you have no one to blame. Like that's, that's the thing when you're, you're self-employed for anybody listening that, that hasn't made that jump. It's, um, it's the scariest feeling doing it. Cause it you're like, you're like, oh, cool. Like if I don't feel like working today, it just means that I don't make money. Whereas like yeah. you know, if you work for somebody else, you can kind of screw off for the day. Like you can kind of have like a yeah. slow day and play on your phone and it's you know, you're still getting paid. But like when it's you, that that's it. For every moment you're not working, you're you're losing money.
1: True. And I think obviously drifting is is a business as well. Like that's what I'm trying to proceed, making my name and my career a business. That's what I, that's what we're all trying to do. And I think I'm getting closer and closer, but I still I'm still far away from being really successful in drifting. I still I still I'm not making money out of drifting yet. I'm I'm trying to, but I'm trying to be smart. I'm trying to learn from the best. I'm trying to learn from everybody and take the best out of everybody to to learn how to make that happen. And I think the car sales will still be with me as a hobby even though I do well in drifting. I would still do it because I love it. I love selling cars, I love fixing cars, I love all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I want it to be where I make money out of drifting. It not, I, don't, I just have to survive, you know? I just wanted to be successful at the track and be successful for my sponsors and make a little bit of money so I can live on the side as well and don't have to be sleepless nights every night, you know? So, but drifting is a business and it's going to be a tougher and tougher business in years to come, I think. Because everybody's trying and everybody's really good at what they're doing.
0: Yeah. What What have you, um, I guess like what have you done... To get by, I mean, I think like an example is, you know, you partnered up with um, Beecham this year in transport, right? Like you guys both transported together last year. It was like you, Simon, and Jonathan, um, which is kind of how you and I got to know each other. That trailer yeah. was way overloaded, though, uh, which we can talk about now that it's <laughs> over.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, like,
0: what it was, what, and and I think in the beginning too, you you did work with Rad Dan, so like what. What do you do to make this work then? Like, how do you figure this out?
1: Uh, the first year was rad, Dan, because uh, Frederick told me, "Call Dan. You will be a perfect fit for each other." Hundred percent. i I feel like I've been lucky to meet honest people. Like the first guy I met over here was Dan, and Dan has never did anything wrong. He's always been a good friend, always been polite, and always did what he said he would do. And to find those guys, it's really important. And all of those like first year was rad, second year was rad as well, and we became almost best friends. We're best friends today. Today we're we're talking to each other every day, and Beecham as well. It's been really good. His whole family is taking care other of many people. When yeah, when transporting, it's not an issue. They're always trying their best for me to have a good time. There there's no like bad mood or anything. Everything is good. But it, I think it's all about getting those relationships going and follow them up talk to them, and become friends. And you, you, you can't become friends with everybody, but these guys are really easy to become friends with. And yeah. I think it's important to have a transport because as a foreign driver, if you were to drive all the way, you have to like stay here one week prior to the race more and one week after the race more and drive yeah. around. And you have to buy a truck and trailer and all that. Do you- but, you know, it's a, it's a calculation, but for me, it makes sense to transport with someone else. Do you have
0: next year sorted yet? I know we we kind of briefly touched on it and like you're you're in the US for a bit to to work out some plans but like you don't have to get into specifics but like what what are you looking for right now? What's the plan? What are you doing while you're while you're stateside?
1: I feel definitely that it's a good vibe going uh at the moment. I okay. feel like I yeah, I gotten to know a lot of people that are good friends that I can trust. But nothing is planned. It nothing is confirmed for next year. I'm still open. I'm still trying to put feelers out there, move around to meet people and see if there's an opportunity. Because I've been doing two years in my own car. It's been ups and downs and not the results I wanted. I really want to show the people out there what I'm capable of and to win battles, do well and move up. That's what I want to do. And I think for me at the moment, I'm looking for a team to drive for in a different car. Uh, I don't say my car is bad, but it needs like some things more to to make it more competitive in the FT Pro level. And you need, obviously, more spares and more um, knowledge about the parts you're bringing and, obviously, the mechanics. <clears throat> so I'm at, I'm at the point where I'm looking for a team to drive for, and I'm really trying to find a team suitable for me and find the sponsors, partners that wants to be on my team moving forward. That's what I'm trying to do. And I already have really good sponsors, partners that believe in me and have been pushing forward to to make me successful. and I really want to continue work with those as well on the way. But I think for me, as a foreign driver, um, driving on a team like Simon this year, yeah, I think that's that's the way to go as a foreign driver. I think the level is so high over here, and I think doing it all by myself, having your plate full of all the thoughts and things all the time. And focus more on driving is the way to go. So I don't know if there's any team out there yet, though. There's, I don't have anything, hundred <laughs> percent. But I, I'm, I'm hoping for some, yeah. some opportunities to come on the table so I can, uh, can discuss. For sure. Yeah,
0: I mean, I would, I personally would love to see Rad Dan come back. You guys already know each other well. The super matches, like that, in my mind, is the perfect fit. But I also don't know. I mean, I haven't chatted with Dan since Florida. So like I have no idea what he's up to. Um, You don't have to like confirm or deny anything, but like that's just me, you know, speculating. I think that would be kind of cool. Um, Yeah, but
1: definitely that Mm -hmm. that's that's my dream as well to drive with Dan and Renee. Yeah, in for Rad Industries. They're obviously my best friends over here, and they um, that that would be a a rad thing, right? (laughs) Uh, Look at uh, you, this uh, guy. But I'm not sure, like, I could drive whatever. Like, I, I really believe in the S chassis. I really b- believe in other chassis. And for me, a good thing I've been driving a left-hand drive and a right-hand drive, I don't care about it. I don't think about it either because my ice drifter is a right-hand drive. Right. So I'm, like, kind of flexible. So I, for me, it's it's not just the car. It's the team. If I get a competitive team with everything around it that makes me comfortable and makes me have fun, I want to go out on the track and do my best, you know? Yeah. Because it's all about feeling comfortable when you put when you put yourself in the car and your focus is just, I'm going to have fun, I'm going to drive, I'm going to win. That has to be the focus. Not to be tired about how I did this and this and this.
0: Well, we've seen it like multiple times now, right? Like we saw it, um, I mean, James Dean to some, you know, to some perspective, like he, he, you know, that was kind of the setup that he had with Vortaus. Chelsea Dinova jumping on, even Adam LZ, performed significantly better with RTR than he did on his solo program. Simon, I mean, uh, we can we can go back to, to old teams and stuff like that too, but like when you don't have to worry about the logistics and the fuel and how many tires did we order and, you know, are we getting lunch? Like who do I have to send yeah. from the track? Like those little things, if all you have to do is like get in the car and get hyped up and then drive it and be like, okay, even if I bin it, there's three mechanics that are ready to go. That, that are just going to put the car back together,
1: right? Yeah. <clears throat> but the thing that has to be said, it's before getting to that, uh, putting yourself in the car, putting on the seatbelts in April on Long Beach. There is so much work that needs oh, to know. be done before getting there. And everybody has done it to get on that that seat spot, that team, uh, looking all the names you said. Yeah. And I'm willing to put down that work, and I think it's better putting off that putting on that work off season and getting ready for the season, and then you can focus on what you're doing. But um, I think, yeah, I've seen I've seen successful drivers not do well by their own, and I've seen successful drivers get the right things around them to do well. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think everybody look at the Formula One drivers; they have everything is sorted for them, and everybody is is capable of
0: in their A game, right? Yeah. I mean, in F1, it really comes down to the, I mean, it comes down to the cars in a lot of cases.
1: Um, Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah.
0: But I mean, that being said, like we still see like large splits in in between drivers. I mean, look at, look at Red Bull right now, you know, same car, two drivers, one's in first, one of them might lose second. Um, Mercedes, you know, George Russell's performing better than Lewis in a lot of races, although points wise, but anyways. We get this is not an F one podcast. I keep like I keep turning no. it into an F one podcast. I'm sure people are sick of it. So
1: um, we're interested in all racing, though. That's why, right?
0: Yeah, I just I think it's the uh, for me. Like it gives it gives me like when I when I I I watch like the broadcast and I watch like the interviews and like all the pre show and post show. Like I watch I watch practice. Like I don't, I don't care. Um, but I I take it in. as, like okay. This is like what we can work towards. This is a level of professionalism, yeah. you know, from the my podcasting and, and announcing side, like I want to understand how they operate. And I know drivers wise, like you've seen, you know, Vaughn and Matt, for example, doing a lot of the warm-up and reflexes games to to try and get into the right state of mind and to make sure that they're warmed up, which is stuff that is pulled from other motorsports. So like I think it's yeah. ignorant not to look at other forms of motorsport to try and pull inspiration or ideas from because Drifting is a homologation of all of those. Like we talked about it before, it is the most difficult part of every motorsport put into one. Like that's,
1: yeah, it is. It it is.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's the worst. Like, I mean, it's the best, but it's the worst. (laughs) Like,
1: I'm doing the same as you. I like, I like to watch all those things and not particularly maybe the driving. I watch the drivers, (laughs) uh, the race as well, of course, but I love watching the, the interviews before the race, after the race. And I think it helps me learn. See what they're doing, and see what are, what people are doing. What I like to do. Mm-hmm. be, what version would I be of myself? It, it helps mm-hmm. you to be the best version of yourself because you can tell that guy is doing better. But maybe just it's just me thinking that. But I like to imagine myself in the same position and think how how things would be. And I think definitely F one is professional, and that's a good thing. But I also think drifting should stay. It should be a professional, but it should stay. A little bit like a surfer style thing, where people can have their own style. Yeah, and F1 is p- pushing towards that as well. You can look at Walter Boras. he's tougher on how he haircuts and stuff like that. And I think this this sport has more characters now in yeah. F1 as well. And I think it's cool. Well, we had, able to be yourself.
0: Yeah, like I think Daniel Ricciardo really broke that open, where like you could have fun. And then we see, yeah, we see Valtteri, where like you know he's yeah. he's got a mullet or he runs the mustache, like. He, he could yeah. never do that at Mercedes. There's no way in hell Mercedes would ever let good. him have a mullet. He looks great. looks amazing. Yeah. So, But I
1: think the people are like, <laughs> Ricardo is, is, a, is a character. I think Ricardo, he could be serious when he needs to, obviously, but yeah. I think he's one of the guys we need in F1. And I think he, for me, he's, he's one of the coolest guys on planet. Like I think yeah. he, he has the charisma. He's really good at talking to people, treating people. I think he's a really good role model. Mm-hmm. yeah I so do I, really I do look think up that to him. I think it's funny I think
0: FD like needs we have a lot of characters like we we do we really yeah. have a lot of characters and like I'm hoping with this show and and like other things that are in the works to be able to to show that more because like that's what gets people hooked like the reason why F1 got so big in the U.S. so quickly was Drive to Survive highlighted the personalities of the people so you learn to love them right and that's yeah. like same thing with this like I want I want people to leave this and be like I really like Willie Yeager. Like, I'm going to cheer for him. I am going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah. You're good shit. You're, you're. Um, uh, I got one hour, yeah. 45 minutes with that guy. He's out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, done. You never uh, know.
0: Yeah. No, no. I mean, you and I, you and I chat almost every round, um, you know, and we've hung out numerous occasions. I'd like to hang out more. Still yeah. trying to get another Me pass too. back to Norway. Um, you know, I got to, I got to figure that out. I'd, I want to come back ice racing again so bad. Jonathan kept breaking the car, so I didn't
1: get as many laps. I hope he hears this. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. I, I, I love. That's what I love about FD as well. Like you meet yeah. everybody everywhere. You can talk to everybody, and you can have some good times. And I think, I yeah, that's that's. I love driving, and I really want to be around here. I love the family. Like it's yeah it's become my family. FD, and I feel like I have ten years more that I can do over here, and I really want to make those ten years successful and a lot of fun on the way. Because the previous tours has been fun, even though the result hasn't been good, we had a lot of fun. I met a lot of people, like you, like yeah. <laughs> others. We had a lot of fun, yeah. and it's obviously worth it. And I think we're, yeah, we're getting better and better. Yeah, the whole no, sport I, I together. Mean, it comes.
0: It comes with time, and it's it's tough, like you said. Like pro's no joke. It's it's really nope. no joke, and it's so much different. And <clears throat> it's not just four more rounds. It's it's. You know, I feel like it's like 10 times the work, not for like twice the work.
1: It's almost like a year, like the off season now, it's just a couple of months and it's not an off season. It's full-time work. Yeah. It is full-time work. So it's fun. What what are your,
0: I guess like, given the position you're in right now, like what is your plans for SEMA? Like, how do you go into something like SEMA? Like, what do you hope to get out of it? I mean, I'm trying to... You know maybe inspire some of the younger guys who are are trying to figure out their programs and stuff. Cause like you have a you have good sponsors on board. You've got a decently funded program. I mean it's not it could always be more and I'm sure you would love to not have to worry about money. But like I guess like what tips can you give the younger group of people listening as to to getting that kind of sponsorship?
1: I'm trying to be critic to myself. Like I'm too critical sometimes. But what I try to do is Look at things that I'm good at and also be honest and look at things I'm not good at and try to maybe outsource some of the things and look at who's doing best in social media, who's the best to do. I'm trying to get help from, from someone else to do the things that I'm not that good at and be mm-hmm. honest about that on, my, on me and on myself. And I think that's that was a big step for me telling myself, you're not the best guy on social media. You need some help. <laughs> or you're not the best guy on this one, but you're really good at meeting people and being social. So for me, I'm going into SEMA in a two-way perspective. I want to go into SEMA and try to book some meetings. Uh, it's obviously not the easiest to book meetings and have a, tons of meetings. But let's say I get five meetings out of SEMA, sit-downs. I think that's a good amount for me. And I think the other way of looking at it is go around after dark, like talk to people, just walk around, meet people in the city, like everywhere there's car people everywhere. You can meet someone that knows someone that knows someone that could put you in the right direction. So for me, it's almost most about the social thing, talking to people and meet new people and seeing familiar faces and be in the, the, in the environment But on SEMA, I'm trying to get meetings and sit-downs and talk to people. But for me, also walk around and meet new people. So what I do to prepare, I just go through the whole exhibitor list, trying to find someone that... I'm trying to look at them the way that... Could this company fit Ola Jaeger. So I Mm. go to their webpage, look at their thing, look at their colors, look at their branding, look at what they're doing.
0: And I'm trying to see
1: where are they at and i'm trying to find those that maybe i would love to work with because then it's easier for me to go into a meeting or go and say hi and uh, meet the guys or the girls and say i'm the perfect fit for you and believe in it what i'm saying like it's true because i don't want to work with a company that i don't believe in i'm too honest to be working with someone that i don't like i need to work with people i like <laughs> i need to surround be surrounded by people i like i think that's mm. important too i don't think i don't think My brand will, will, my brand will always be people that I trust and and brands that I can stand behind straight up until I believe in the brand. I feel that's Mm. really important as a brand ambassador that you really believe in the brand. And for me, that's obviously sometimes maybe in the future, you have to Mm. forget some of that. But for me, I'm trying to build a stone by stone in a healthy way instead of pushing and leaving guys behind in the path in the past that I had before, I tried to be respectful, uh, bring my sponsors for many years, looking at it long-term instead of just a one-year thing. So I think when you approach someone, it's re- you should really think about it and really imagine yourself working with them before approaching and see if that could be a fit. That's that's, that's my thought, but yeah. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. No,
0: that's really interesting. The color thing is something I've, I mean, that's not something I've even thought of, which is, uh, it's, it's refreshing for me because like, I've been in this space for a while, and like I never thought to like, yeah, just look at the branding. If they their colors match your colors, like it's a way easier yeah, fit, like, right? You,
1: yeah, yeah. Or like, let's say when you have a certain sponsor you already have, you have to see if there's crashing with them, and the colors not maybe not the import, most important thing, but it's it's there as well, yeah. you know. So uh, yeah, you have to like look at your whole package as a brand, and the sponsors you already have they're important for them. Importancy for them is to not do something that is not working with them as, as well.
0: Because yeah, it's a business you, you, to business I
1: mean, with everybody at the end of the day.
0: You can't have like two clutch companies, right? Like you can't have two competitors or like, the hard part is like figuring out what brand is owned by what other brand, right? Like, yeah, I feel like uh, what was Wheel Pros is now relabeled Hoonigan. Like they have like 58 brands. So like you yeah. might find that you're competing against one of their competitors because that brand is owned by this. Like that that whole structure is just a, a complete other nightmare too of figuring out that like, you know, oh, I can't go to the, if I run Holly, I can't use a different brand that maybe is, you know, competing with them in a different space or something.
1: No, I don't uh, think that's the yeah. best way of going. But it, it's tough. No. It's a lot of brands out there. And it's a lot of, I think the car culture over here is obviously huge compared to. Yeah. Norway looking at brands that are in the sport. And there's so many good brands as well, competitive brands. So I mm-hmm. think uh, there's many people out there trying to get all the partners on board, but I I think it's still possible. That's why I'm still trying. Mm-hmm.
0: What what do you think it would take you to to move to the US full time? Like what do you what would be something somebody would have to say to for you to be
1: like, yeah, I guess I'm moving to America now? I think I'd always had my base back home in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. and have uh, because being home let's say the winter time a few months is, is good as well and uh, but I don't know follow the dream and uh, if someone say that you have to move then we have to move I'll bring my whole family my mom and dad everybody's like it- going my brother girlfriend her daughters everyone's <laughs> going it would be yeah I guess
0: I, I I mean, the support's there, right? Like, the family... Like, if you went home and you, and you told your parents, like, hey, you know, I got offered uh, a position at whatever team, I have to move to America, like, that, it would just be yes. Like, there'd be no question. They'd yeah, just be like, yeah, it go for be. it. Yeah. That's crazy. It's so cool to have that support,
1: right? It is. And my girlfriend as well is, we're all pushing in the same direction. She wants me to do well, and we're, we're doing it all. So, this is like... It become like every, I have my neighbor from back home, uh, where I, uh, my parents they've called me the, earlier today, asked me how it's going because he's wondering because it's been around the neighbor since I was a little kid, <laughs> and I have the support like it's yeah we got I got support from my family and I think it's really important like um I'm, my mom and dad is really good good to me and they want me to succeed and it's it's really important how that support I feel like it's way easier to push as hard as I'm doing and being at the limits economically all the time and stuff like that. It's easy <laughs> when you have a, a solid family that supports your your dreams. And it's been, they, they've heard about it for 15 years now. So they know that I'm committed and I'm, I, I still am. And the support is important for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't imagine, I mean, even with all the craziness I live through now day to day, like, if I came home and had a wife who was like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Why are you doing that? That's silly. Like, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this. Right. Like the fact that I can come home and and be like, Hey, uh, I'm going to be gone for 10 days in California partying. I hope that's okay with you. And she's like, yeah, go for it. Have fun.
1: Like, (laughs) it's so important to have have that support. Right. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And we're all in it together. So we're, we're going to make it happen and uh, we're going to make it happen. I'm positive. So on the on the
0: tire debate, um, there's like all these conversations about you know FD needs. Let's just keep going crazy with tires versus these cars are getting too fast and they're not sustainable. Where do you where do you fall in this?
1: Uh, I I'm divided a little bit. Yeah, uh, I feel at the moment we're now we're just uh, learning it. We're adjusting our cars to the way that it's working. Maybe it, the other way. Going with a smaller tire or whatever would make things differently. I think I don't think it's a bad thing. I think we're all good enough to adopt to whatever rule comes out there. But I think getting more brands in is a good thing and a bad. It's it's difficult. It's a complex thing because getting more brands would have made it easier for more drivers. I guess if right. you had more driver, more brands in, there would be uh, even higher competition between the brands. And maybe more drivers could get support on tires, uh, but the tire rule, I think, if everybody had like a, the same tire, almost the same tire, it would have been a good thing. But then you have the chassis different as well. But mm. drifting is so different in so many ways: engines, setup, everything. I don't think you will ever get that, you know, brand manufacturer race series or whatever that we have in other sports. Mm. But I would maybe wish we had a stickier front tire. Okay. On the same tire we're at now. So like allow
0: like 140s or 200s or something in the front, but stick with a 300
1: in the rear. Yeah. Hmm. I would do that. Interesting. I think that could change some things, but it's only thoughts though.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, there's a, I mean, we're pushing so much rear grip. We've, we've seen it where the front slip out. I mean, Irwindale is a great example of that. Like, Two yeah. or three guys just lost grip in the front and the car smashed into the wall.
1: And it looks weird from the outside. And I get people that has never been to an FD event in real life looking at the live stream. It looks ridiculous. It looks stupid that we're hitting the wall that way. Yeah. But I think we are pushing so hard and at we're at the limit already and at the edge. And at some point, you're going to hit the wall with the front because mm. you're pushing too hard. I like that. But, yeah, that's good. But like I get unlimited that it's, front. It's, it, <clears throat> It looks a little bit weird when it happens, but it's like from inside the car, you're just like pushing and pushing and pushing. And all of a sudden, it's just like, okay, we're passengers. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> we're
1: passengers. <laughs> Something like that. <this>. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, oh, that's good. Yeah I, yeah. I think that'd be cool, especially like if it was completely unlimited, like you could run a racing slick front and then a 300 treadwear rear. Like we could see some crazy yeah. angle and yeah. still have speed, right?
1: I think so, but I think if it gotten too crazy again, I think it's not a good thing as well. I think I we think start we breaking front knuckles. Like, yeah, at the yeah, at that point, something's gonna happen, and and yeah. the, the cars will drive totally differently. I don't think. Yeah, but it's a it's a fun idea to test though. Hmm. We would have been testing a slick tire with pattern or something like that.
0: Yeah, just like a yeah, that's it. Ah, I like that. That's a new one. I've I've never heard anybody cool. propose that one. Yeah. Would have been cool. Yeah, we still got time. Do it this off season if you got some downtime. We'll get some slicks out to you and let's give let's give Kenda a call. I don't Fantastic. think Kenda has any slicks, but maybe we'll we'll see what they can pull out. You never know. I know, yeah, never know. I, I know they're I know they're they're working. I mean, they're they're I don't I can't say too much, but I know the tires that we're seeing right now are not the tires that we're gonna see coming soon, which is pretty cool. So I, I think they are taking- yeah, they've taken feedback and they're working on it.
1: Yeah, Kenda is new this year in, at the pro level. And they're a group of guys that are pushing really hard to move forward. Mm-hmm. And you could tell by their appearance the first year how they came in. They've been solid, serious. They good. They did good brand-wise. Their, their visibility is good. They, I think they came in hot. And it's just a matter of time they're the best you know yeah they're pushing Just development in, they're pushing out yeah they're pushing really hard and it's the first year and everyone's first year is not, it's not going to be perfect no matter what you do mm-hmm. so i i think they're on the the right way and they're they're doing their best like they're a good group of people you yeah, were
0: asking a company to develop a tire for the most ridiculous conditions that a tire will ever go through like it's it's and crazy it's no,
1: and it's no way to test it it's hard to test <laughs> it right yeah you got to test it at the level at a pro level at the pro track and yeah. you don't get that testing on the off season no matter what you're going to do
0: yeah no you you don't and you don't get it at the temperature either that's the hard part like you might you can take that car to Irwindale in the middle of February and that's fine and run that layout but it's not going to be 95 degrees and you're not nope. gonna and do you're it. not
1: pushing that hard as well like
0: yeah yeah, if you're just demoing the car, you're not driving as hard as you would in qualifying or in, or in competition.
1: No. Yeah. It's a weird think, thing, but it's true. Like, I feel like the best practice, you could say that ice drifting is a really good practice. It's for sure is. But I feel like the best practice is race practice. When you're doing a round, when you're doing a, a, a round in FD, that's the best practice you get. To yeah. get the best practice you had, would have all the guys out there for a track day and tell them that it's competition. Or if you don't do this, you're going to die or something like that. You're going to push, like, you never get be able to push as hard as you do. I'm, at least I'm struggling to find that thing in my head where I can push as hard as I do in a competition battle. Even on practice, it's hard, I think.
0: I, I just don't think you can. I don't think mentally you can put yourself in that same place. Like, I don't know. Like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you like in the car? Like what's your What do you do to warm up or get your head straight? Like, do you have a ritual once you're in the car?
1: I do some breathing things. Okay. Like I breathe uh, in a certain way before I go and I think about, I visualize myself winning the battle. And before I'm going through the, to, through the run, I'm just trying to think that it's practice. But at the same time, I'm trying to be, I really want to do my things before getting to the battle. It's not that I'm not going to do well if I don't do it, but I feel like the breathing thing and thinking the right thoughts. And telling myself it's not dangerous, like, it's not dangerous to lose. You know what I mean? Like, mm. if you lose, you lose. It doesn't matter. But I'm trying to tell myself those things. And I think it's really important to uncomplicate things before a battle. What, what breathing but, method do you use? Like, I take long breaths when I inhale. Mm-hmm. I inhale through my mouth, like, long, long time. And I breathe out through the nose because then I have to. I have to do it in a certain, you know, I count seconds. Like ten okay. seconds in, ten seconds out. Oh, so like big, big, long breaths then. Yeah, huh. because it calms me all the way down, like from my head all the way down. It calms me down.
0: Huh, that's cool. I've I've uh, I've done a lot of like reading on breathing techniques and and things like that, and it was one of those things where I was always like, ah, it's just like woo woo crap. And then yeah. the more that I've done some of them and and like practiced them, like even with my kids. Like when they're having like a a freakout, like there's some breathing techniques that I've learned that like it calms them down super quick. If nothing yeah. else, it just like but breaks their pattern. Yeah.
1: But I heard you have to do it in a certain way and stuff like that, and that that kind of yeah. just stressed me out. How I did it wrong, <laughs> I did it wrong. So I just started doing it how I felt it was good to do it. But uh, uh, it works. It works for me. But it works at least at times you manage to do them. Yeah. Hmm.
0: yeah. I I always wonder that like every. The, the ritual of getting ready, like I had a ritual when I played hockey a lot of like, I would have to put on one side first and then move over. And like, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't think you're superstitious. It doesn't sound like it, but I know some drivers are super, super superstitious. So I'm always curious, like what yeah. you guys do before you get in the car.
1: I did some, I have some things as well, like yeah? in the car, when I get there, I have to do some certain buttons on the car a couple of times and stuff like that. But it's like, it's where I'm really focused. I have to like test the windshield wiper or stuff like that. I just, some Ah. weird stuff. But I I know the button's turned on, but I need to like turn it off and on a couple of times. It's not stress, but it's just like for me to like make sure.
0: Oh, okay. Like it's working and then you're like, was it actually working? Like, okay, no, No, it's definitely working.
1: I, I (laughs) I don't think I care if it was a button or just a fake button. I just like, I need to like... Do it twice or three times. It's just like a weird thing. But huh. It comes and goes. It comes and goes. So. <laughs> it goes. I never know.
0: This is where we need that that uh, type S inside dash cam. Like I wanna, I'd love to see a compilation of like the 15 seconds before a run starts, like what every driver does. If there's like a yeah. pattern there.
1: Yeah, I've seen it. they pulled. They've pulled some inboard. Yeah. Footage for me as well. It's really good, and I uh, I've seen a few. It's fun to see because you can see it's even cool to see yourself doing it because you can tell the different battles and you know the outcome of the battle and it's good to mm. see not only in forward seeing the run but actually seeing yourself and be honest about what you thought went wrong and what actually you did in the car yeah. did I pull the handbrake did I downshift you know and it's a good thing to see see what you're you're doing yourself and i think it would be cool to have inboard live as well
0: i yeah i agree i like think F1, it's one yeah, yeah I, think. I think it's in the works. I know there's been a lot of I software and hardware testing this year to like get some stuff ready. So, uh I do think yeah. it's in the works. <sighs> yeah, I agree. I want to I want to see. I want to I want to see like for me from the outside as somebody who, you know, really analyzes what a, a car does in motion, I don't have as much data on the inboard. I have a fair bit from just watching a lot of YouTube videos and stuff like that, but like I think the biggest thing I've always wanted to convey to people is like, if you see a mistake in zone two, it's usually because of a mistake in zone one. Like, yeah. it's usually, it's something very, very small that happens. Like you leave a zone late or early or at a weird angle. And if you know to spot it, you can almost predict what's going to happen. And like, what's been fun is like, even in the announcing side is you'll hear me like gasp or be like, oh my God. Well before it looks like somebody's about to crash, because like now yeah. it's it's in my brain where I can see it. Irwindale, there's a couple cases where, you know, at the transition point at the inner clip, I can already tell what's about to happen if they're going to fill that zone yeah. or not. Like it's it's True. wild how the, you you start to develop that that almost. It's not an instinct. It's just you you recognize that there's a problem early and what it could be yeah. later on.
1: And it's fun to see the fans and hear the fans as well because they're also really developed. They've been wow. at the events for many years, and you can tell that they're gasping as well already before the crash hits. Yeah, and yeah, it's but yeah, it's definitely true. You can your your mistake happens often way before the hit comes. <laughs> so yeah, you know already you're you're yeah you're about to crash. You know pretty early inside the car. Yeah, as you said, you be you just become a passenger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, become. a it's passenger. It's so perfect. But it's not a
0: good feeling. It's not a good feeling. I bet. I, I've never crashed anything at that speed. You've you've had a couple of big big hits over the year. What's what's been like the scariest one?
1: I think the one in uh, Riga and Drift All-Stars in 2013 at the Beaker Niki track. Mm. I was going through the uh, the first right hander. When you go full throttle between the two corners, yeah. I was sitting too long on the starting line and I didn't know I have to warm up my front tires again. So I went full throttle in there like Let's say 9,800 miles an hour, full throttle and couldn't straighten up the car. So it was just hitting the wall in my front and I flew a 180. I didn't flip, but I flew 180 in the fence inside there. And there was just 20 minutes before qualifying on practice. That was, it was scary, but it was like, I didn't care about it after we came fourth in the round the same day. But (laughs) like, still, still, it was, I was a real passenger. It was like, this car won't steer. How do I want to hit? the car is going to hit no matter what I do. Do you want to hit with the front or the back? Interesting. You're trying to predict. You kind
0: of had enough time, like obviously it's really fast when it all happens, but you had enough time to acknowledge like, oh, I'm in trouble now. I just have to figure (laughs) out what's going to happen next.
1: It was like, I'm definitely going to hit and (laughs) I was just like, how hard am I going to hit? This is is going to hurt. And it's like, I was trying to flip the car in the right direction, but yeah, I don't think that would help when you're in the air, with the whole car. <laughs> Were you
0: still trying but, to steer? Uh, yeah. I want to find the clip yeah, of this, like so. to see if you're still trying to like turn the car. Yeah,
1: it's a bad thing. It was uh, ten years ago. We didn't have too much. Like the live stream was just one camera and stuff. Potato,
0: like that. potato footage, as we call yeah. it, looks looks like it was filmed yeah. on a potato.
1: Yeah, it's cool.
0: yeah, uh, yeah I, I want to go back and find that. I know, I know, I've heard of that crash. I don't know if I've actually seen it though, but I think it's got to live somewhere.
1: I think so. Uh, there was a lot of crashing there, and I remember Jack Shanahan was thirteen year at that time. Yeah, thirteen years old, and he was the fastest speed on initiation of all of us. He's, he's he had one hundred and sixty kilometers in the first between the first corners. In between, he had went through the first corner and still at one sixty kilometers an hour.
0: Okay, so here's here's a good one because this debate's been going on for a while, and obviously we've got like the RSR event that's coming up if you were to take a like a true world event of like all the drifters um, let's say, let's say we take three from every nation. So three from Ireland, three from Norway, um, three from the U S three from Japan, three from wherever else. Who do you actually think would, would take that, take that win? Oh, you
1: can I hurt feelings. If you brain- can hurt feelings. It's fine. If it- I think at the moment, if you bring Jack Shanahan or his brother, Connor, yeah. over here, or like not over here, but like to that event, I think they'll yeah. have a fair chance of doing it. I think I would put my money on one of those guys. Mm. They are
0: insane, which is cool too, because like they were, they were in Irwindale. Yeah. I, I I bugged them a whole bunch. They're like, good people
1: it's... as well. They're true racers.
0: Great, great people. Um, their Their dad, when I was in Germany had a couple of drinks, and uh, he has a very, very thick Irish accent. And he yeah. was talking to me for what felt like an hour, and I didn't understand a word of it. And then I left, and uh, my buddy Mike Walton from the British Drifting Championship yeah. came over. He's <laughs> like, you probably just agreed to do a whole bunch of stuff that
1: you'll never know about. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're funny. Yeah. yeah I, I, but I think they're, they're at the top of the game at the moment as well. They've been for many years. Yeah, they're like competitive wherever they go, and I feel like the there's a lot of Japanese drivers as well. You know that Hiro was coming up, you know, and did good in FT Japan. I think he's a really good driver, really good sim driver as well. Seems like he's a like really consistent driver. I like his driving style because it's consistent and Mm -hmm. fluid, but still aggressive. And I think there we we have the world has a lot to see. In years to come, I think we get and get a lot of aggressive new drifters up and coming pretty fast through the through the field in a couple of years. Yeah. But uh that that event I would go to myself as well that you talked about. I think that sounded pretty funny. <laughs> Let's do it, bring everybody somewhere to a well, grassroots event with grassroots cars.
0: That's that's what I'm getting at is like obviously if you were to take we've seen it, like you take a lot of Japanese drivers and bring them over to FD and it's it's tough. I mean, although uh, Wataru and, and Kazuya have, de- have both done I mean Kazuya did phenomenal in St. Louis um, Yeah. and then you know same thing we bring European drivers over a lot of the times it's, it's a bit of a struggle but then I always question like okay if we were to take FD drivers and put them in Japan where it is all about fluidity and it's all about style and the speed and the tire hookup isn't as, as necessary would they be able to do as well or yeah. take US drivers and put them in Driftmasters like what would happen then? like that i it's it's all these like weird fantasy battles that like play out in my head of like how could this actually work so
1: uh, i but, agree that's that's yeah. a funny thought like i think it would have been fun to see for sure yeah but uh, maybe that comes in the future maybe we'll have more of those like meetings between countries and drivers and cars mm-hmm. it would have been fun to see
0: give them all like 600 treadwear tires like i mean like yeah. make them skate right like like let's yeah yeah let's let's take all the speed out of it and see See what happens. I think it'd be a way different event at that point.
1: Yeah, but I think that's the thing with FD that is fun as well. That it's it's so hooked up, and the cars yeah. are so complicated. And I think that's why it's the best series in the world. You know, like yeah. we're pushing harder than everyone else. We're always pushing to change the rules, go change direction, get faster, get better. And every single one on every team is doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, that's, that's why I think bet, it's always... That's
1: different, but different.
0: Right, right, exactly. They're doing yeah. it their own way. Like, I think that's why it's so... I, I get frustrated a lot when I see, like, people like, oh, this series is better than that. I'm like, they're all different. They're all trying to do yeah. very different things. Like, the rules are different. The judging is different. The mindset is different. The styles are different. Like, it's so hard to compare them. And it's I, I uh, it's like trying to judge a fish on how well it climbs a tree, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not gonna be good at climbing trees. You know, the squirrel's right. gonna do much better, but because you're you're judging something based on a different set of rules and circumstances. So yeah, yeah I don't know. But yeah, I, I wanna see a, a total fantasy battle of like, let's do it in like three different you know, do one in the US, one event in the US, one event in Europe, one event in Japan, use European judges at their home country, US judges in their home country, Japanese judges in their home country, and then Really see who would do the best. I think that would be sick. It would have been awesome. It would have been awesome. <sighs> we need some big money. <laughs> Ula. when you're at SEMA, yeah. find us a sponsor <laughs> to make this happen.
1: Okay. I'll let them uh, know. know and see cool. what happens. Yeah. Let, let me know yeah. how that works out for you. I'll, I'll give you a hand. <laughs> I will. I'll
0: keep you posted. Cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Um, sick. Uh, well, is there anything else that you want to cover, discuss? You know, anything, anything we missed? No.
1: I feel like we've been through a little bit. Yeah, I'm just glad to be here, be in your podcast, your famous podcast. Oh, I'm finally on it. Oh, I'm happy go. about it. Yeah, it's good. I <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I love it. I I. It's good to have a sit down after the season and talk. And I think it was the right moment to have it after the season. We can talk about things yeah. and we can yeah have thoughts. And I think it's important to share with the fans as well what I'm thinking and who am I and what I'm doing. And I feel it's uh it's a good uh good way of doing it. And the vibe is good in your studio. Ah, thank you. I,
0: yeah, yeah, because you're in my studio. One day I would like to have it where like I can fly you guys into a studio and we can do it face to face. But I mean, this isn't too bad. Maybe same thing when we get all that funding. When we get this big, you know, Elon Musk money for this drift series, we'll we'll do the podcast that way too.
1: <laughs> yeah, on a plane, right? You have your own yes. plane as a studio.
0: Yes, private jet.
1: Um, well, that's okay. what we'll do.
0: Yeah, yeah, that
1: won't be cheap, but.
0: For some reason, I got like a TikTok video today of like explaining how private jets break down. Not that I'm in the market for a private jet, but like. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Dude, it's crazy how expensive it is.
1: It's like mind-numbingly expensive. So I'm not going to buy one next Uh, year, so I can wait.
0: If you do, I mean, at least we announced it here first, right?
1: (laughs) Okay, deal. Yeah.
0: All right, cool. Uh, yeah. dude well thank you I appreciate it um, I'm glad we we got this all started I'm excited I'll, I'll probably see you at SEMA we'll have to to go for a drink and an overpriced steak at some point um, yeah thank you uh, yeah. thank you for coming on and for anybody listening make sure to check out Ula's socials as much as he says that he's not the best at it they're very honest which is cool you're very transparent about everything and that's the part I I, I like the most about your socials
1: thank you appreciate that yeah. and thanks for having me
0: yeah, no worries. Cool. Well, um, sorry, I realized my mouse just died. Ah, Very unelegant way to end this. Uh, but for everybody <laughs> at home listening, um, thank you for listening. If we manage to get footage of the shrimp dance, we will add we'll, the you will have already seen it. If you're just listening, make sure to go back and watch in case the shrimp dance did appear. Uh, I'm going to start bribing we'll people see. very soon <laughs> to get that footage. <laughs> we'll see. Sick. Alright, well thank See you everybody. You and we'll talk to everybody uh, next week. Oh
1: no! Oh knock go out!